Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Ready to launch a new career or not sure what to do after graduation? Rumpke is hiring for CDL driving trainees. We pay you to get your CDL license while working for us. Driver trainees receive $18 an hour, great benefits, and Rumpke will pay your CDL costs. Once you're a CDL driver, you can earn $1,000 to $1,300 a week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in your first year. Apply today and launch a lucrative career at Rumpke. Apply now at RumpkeCareers.com. Equal opportunity employer. Restrictions apply. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online, online. with Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, the Keysport. Monday, Tuesday, and Friday at 10 p.m., 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle. 16.20 a.m., Huntington Community Radio, Huntington, Saturdays at 7 a.m. Mixed Tape Radio International, mtri.co.uk, Mondays at 10 p.m. Eastern. Steel FM, steelfm.org, and Scumthrope, I can say it, United Kingdom, Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern. WWSX Radio 99.1 FM, Rehoboth Beach, Radio Rehoboth, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Orca Radio at orcaradio.coffeecup.com, Owensboro, Kentucky, Tuesdays at 10, Good Talk Radio, www.goodtalkradio.com, Sundays at 11 p.m. Eastern, and streaming online at pghtalkradio.com. Good evening, everybody. Yours truly, Bill Alexander. Well, something unusual this evening. Well, maybe not unusual, but maybe a little bit different than normal. The reason is I'm asking another podcaster on the program, but what's interesting about it is he teaches people how to podcast. Now, a little bit apprehensive about it because I've been doing it for so long, and maybe I've been doing it wrong. I don't know. It's like getting your IQ tested if you've uh, do really well on the IQ test, you're going to be disappointed that you haven't achieved more. If you've done really poorly, you could be thrilled because you've done so well in life. But again, I think it's like that. So you got to be careful. On the phone line right now, we have Colin Gray of the podcasthost.com. Colin, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, thanks. How about yourself? So Colin, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Dundee, Scotland, originally. Okay. I thought I was hearing I, a, a Scottish accent there. I just wanted to make sure. Because uh, <laughs> we usually don't hear a lot of that in the United States. No, but uh, I, in my experience, whenever I go to the U.S., everyone claims to be from Scotland originally. So uh, it must be. Well, my my wife just found out that she is a part Scottish, well, a very small part Scottish, as they did the Ancestry.com thing. And, um, of course, yes. now my daughter felt that she could talk with a Scottish accent for a period of time, which, which made it... <laughs> well, I, I, I do a lot of attempts at uh, U.S. and Australian and different accents. It's yeah. okay if you guys butcher ours as well. <laughs> Anyhow, so what got you in the field of podcasting? 
I started out in education, actually. So it was teaching at a university and helping lecturers to learn how to use technology in general to okay. teach their students, to help their students learn. And podcasting was one of the, the fancy, uh, fashionable tech back then as well. So I was actually just told to go and learn it back in about 2007, 2008. Okay. And I just kind of fell in love with the medium at the time, actually. I just really enjoyed the kind of... I don't know, the long-form medium, the fact that it's really easy to create, just pull out your mic and start speaking. And it's quite personal as well. You know, you feel like you're kind of speaking one-to-one. And when you're a listener, you feel a real connection with the, the podcaster or the speaker too. So that's kind of, that's how I start my journey in it. So what do you consider different between podcasting and radio? I mean, really, podcasting is very similar in terms of the format. The benefit we have is that we have no uh, no limitations. Okay. So generally, on a radio station, you know, uh, within frameworks, you've got time limits. You've got to be there at a certain times. So, I, I mean, one of the great things about podcasting is that I can create a month's worth of content in one day. I can sit down and just record for two or three hours, do a batch of stuff schedule them all up, and then they go out, and I don't need to be around. So, I mean, it's a, as a creator, there's so much more freedom and so much more flexibility. So, have you worked with former broadcasters that have gone into podcasting? Yeah, a fair few, indeed. Yeah, I mean, in the in the UK, certainly, where I'm from originally, there, there are a lot of broadcasters getting into podcasting, as I think a lot of the local stations have kind of cut down in terms of the reach that they have. Right. So a lot of them have come into it. And I've worked with some really good ones over the years. And, and actually, some of the best have been ones that haven't been forced out. Not, they've not been downsized by the radio stations, but they've realized the kind of the benefit of starting their own brand and going their own way and, and creating their own show on podcasting. From the flexibility to the, you know, the, the fact that they can have ownership over it entirely. Because I've learned, I've learned the hard way. I worked. I started in broadcasting thirty plus years ago. Uh, markets were being mm. bought out. Stations were being bought out. In two thousand six, somebody approached me and said, "Hey, you got to try this." And I had a small studio in my house at the time, and I said, "Sure, I'll give it a shot." And I was using a, uh, a service out of the Pittsburgh region that was actually a voice bridge, which where you could actually talk to individuals live on the program. And did it for about six yeah. years, from 2006 to 2012. Then I basically put everything in a box and said, I'm done. And in 2018, I started all over again <laughs> because I was noticing that what I liked to listen to wasn't there anymore. And the type of radio or mm-hmm. talk podcasting I did wasn't there either. So I figured if no one's going to do it, I might as well do it again. And started the brand up all over again out of the blue, which, trust me, this starting the second time in 2018, when there's so many more um, alternatives out there compared to what it was in 2006, I was making amazing numbers in 2006. Twelve years later, it's a totally different (laughs) ballgame. And um, I've been doing it ever since. But the one thing I did differently is I actually started marketing the program as a radio show for other outlets that did that needed to fill airtime so the program is done as a radio program but it's also packaged as a podcast so those that don't listen to it live can listen to it at a later time and that's the way that i was able to do it but i find it interesting that a lot of people are getting into this because they have a message that they want to get out to the public now 
are you noticing any hang-ups with people before they get started? Or do they come to you and say, I want to start a podcast, but I have no idea what I want to talk about? Yeah, there's there's a bit of both. There's there's a lot of hang-ups in terms of confidence, in terms of voice, because, I mean, the ones that come in as broadcasters, like yourself, uh, you know you, you know how to speak, you know how to present, you know how to put yourself across on a mic. But so many of the people that come to us, they just want to get their message out. Like you say, they, they're really passionate about something, but they don't know how to speak, they don't know how to present, they don't know how to plan content on a weekly okay. basis. So there's those initial hang-ups around the confidence, but then there's just the, the simple act of coming up with something week by week by week. Um, and, and even if people are really passionate about it, sometimes they struggle with that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a struggle in many ways. But then once we get them into the routine, once we teach them some tricks around how to you know, break down topics, how to canvas your listeners, that kind of stuff, they realize that it's actually relatively easy and it's something that can just be learned. Now, I know getting into this um, can be an expensive, as I call it, an expensive hobby. But how do you get someone started on a low budget? I mean, extremely low budget. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the lowest budget is just use the gear that you've got. Okay. Uh, a lot of the people out there that want to start a podcast will have a smartphone, for example. And it's not the best quality audio in the world, but actually a decent quality smartphone, just hold it up to your mouth, upside down, the mic's on the bottom generally, and you can use that as a mic. Just record directly into the Dictaphone app. Um, and that's actually, I mean, that's perfectly good enough quality to start out with. If you want to test your first 10 episodes with that kind of setup, you'll sound fine. You'll sound absolutely fine. Um, and then if you want to upgrade from there, generally uh, the best starter mic that we recommend, there's, there's one called the Samson Q2U. So that's S-A-M-S-O-N, Samson Q2U. Mm. Great little mic, under $100, um, and it sounds great. It sounds brilliant, and that's a really nice way to start. Um, so... When, whenever you have people do this, because I know one of the things that you, when you talk to someone who goes into podcasting, um, always in the back of their mind, this is what they're going to do to be able to quit their job and actually support themselves doing this. And that is very yeah. difficult to do because it's very difficult to monetize a program where you don't, where your audience is so broad that you're not just focusing on one area or one location? Well, actually, so, I mean, the way that I tend to advise people to focus is less on location, less on um, area, and more on topic. So, I mean, if you're starting a podcast, generally the first thing we do is, you know, often people will come to us and they'll say something like, right, I wanna, I'm into running. I'm going to do a podcast about running. I'm okay. going to talk about everything to do with running. And the first thing we do is often say, right, okay, that sounds good. You know, five years down the line, we can be talking about everything running. But let's say for the first six months, the first year, you're going to go specific. What about running do you like the most? And they'll say, oh, well, it's uh, trail running. Um, and I'll say, okay, cool, good. Uh, what about trail running? They'll say, oh, well, actually, there's these races that I love. They're like long endurance races. And suddenly you're down to something really specific. You're doing a show for runners who love to do 100-mile-plus trail runs. And that means you're super specific. And that ties right into the monetization because then you can reach out to product companies that cater to that really tight little niche. So people that make shoes that are super tailored to long, long distance endurance events. And that advertiser, that shoe manufacturer knows every person in your audience wants their shoes okay. or at least 
could be very, very amenable to taking those shoes. And that's where you start to monetize because you can be so focused. You can say, I've only got a thousand listeners at this point, but you know, 500 of these listeners will literally be really interested in your shoes. So even though it's small numbers, it's really high conversion. So that's how we tend to think about it in terms of the, the focus, certainly. Which is really interesting because in the days, and th- and this may be why I think of it the way I do, because in the days of radio, we thought of a local area, if we're selling um, widgets, we're selling to that local area. Now, if I'm doing a local widget company, yeah. I would have to still sell it in that area because people are not going to come from um, to, to do things from around to come get them unless they have an online presence. So I can see where that being a, a different thing. But again, if I'm looking at monetizing, and I will use your example of long-distant running, how do you start marketing the program so people can find it? Because... There is so many other programs out there that are dealing with that topic. How do you stand yourself out among everybody else? Yeah, well, the the uni- the, the the niche really helps with that. So thinking about not just running, but long distance running, and not just long distance running, but maybe racing or trail running. That's when you start to get really niche down, so that actually the competition is not half as hard as you think. Okay. Because as soon as you have somebody that's really passionate about that area, they're going to listen to three, four, five, six different podcasts about that topic. And actually, if you're looking at in iTunes, you look at Apple Podcasts and search for some of these really specific topics like that, you'll find there are um, a million, there's two million podcasts out there right now, but so many of them are not active. Many of them are very general. So you actually go nice and niche, nice and specific, and suddenly you'll find yourself in a group of only five to ten shows about that particular topic and many, many different topics. So suddenly that's your marketing done for you because somebody types in long-distance trail running into Apple Podcasts, and actually you're only appearing there with five or ten other shows. So in many ways that niching is a big part of your marketing. But, I mean, adding on to that, suddenly you then have to think about the uniqueness. So the next part of that is, I think, it's uniqueness. It's what do you offer? What about your background really makes people want to listen to you Mm. as opposed to the competition? And maybe in a running example, for example, it might be that you have completed, you know, 10 different um, thousand mile runs in the last couple of years. Or, Or maybe you came back from a horrible accident and long distance trail running. Um, you know, helps you recover your body or there can be all these different life stories that tie into it and really capture people's imagination and make them think, oh yeah, this is the guy that I want to learn from. This is the guy that's had an experience that I want to learn from and that's relevant to me. So it's that uniqueness, thinking about that background, that experience, that personality type of yourself and tie that into the description, into the title and the artwork and the whole brand. And really that's what to me brings people to your show. Okay, because um, I've never looked at it that way. Now, you're, you're focusing on the Apple Podcasts. Now, is it better just to be on one um, one distributor like that, or is it better to be on many, like Stitcher, like yeah, Deezer, like... Be everywhere. Be everywhere. <laughs> um, and why be everywhere? Yes, indeed, yeah. Because you are po- you're publishing your podcast in the open ecosystem anyway. Right. So your podcast goes out there from your podcast hosting provider. So that's just the company that actually makes your podcast available to the world. Then you take that and you post it in all of the directories. 
um, because there's no there's no benefit in being exclusive. There's no benefit in only being an Apple podcast because then you're ruling yourself out of being listened to by everyone with an Android phone. So you might as well listen to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts, places like Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. TuneIn Radio is a great one because that gets you onto Alexa smart speakers and all right. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean. You cover those ones that I just mentioned, though, and that's 99% of all listeners. So as long as you're in those top three to four platforms, you're all good. Uh, one thing I have learned, because I've been on TuneIn since 2006, that I changed mm. podcast hosts um, about three years ago, or two years ago it's been, and I changed it. But the problem is oh, yeah. I can't change it in Tuned In. So I still have to have the old host and I actually duplicate my programs on two different providers just so I can still have that tune-in outlet uh, yeah. on there. And it's like, that gets a little bit crazy at times, but you got to do what yeah. you got to do to get those numbers up. And that's what I think is very interesting because on one side, I monetize through the service provider that I'm using, and the other side, I'm not. And I start seeing a difference on who's listening to what and trying to force them over to something else is not the easiest thing to do. So you just give in and you just keep everything going the way it was going before. So with this with this whole yeah. craze going on, where do you see podcasts going? Because I'll be honest with you, in 2006, when I originally started, I did not think it was going to take off the way it has, especially in the last five years. And I have interviews that I've done with people that were just starting out the same way I was. And I said, the only way that this is really going to be able to take off is when it's going to be convenient and easy, easy for us to access. And within the last five and 10 years, it became so simple because of how smart smartphones got that they download automatically for you, unlike they did before. And not only that, you're now able to listen listen to them with ease in your vehicle when you drive to work or wherever you're going. So you plug the phone in or you do it through Bluetooth and it's automatically there on the dash. You press two buttons, you're playing what you're listening to and no one's forcing you to listen to something you don't want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I mean, that was the, what was it, two or three years ago now. Um, there was a couple of things happened. One was that um, Apple made the podcasting app automatic. It was yes. a default on your phone. So everyone, no matter, they didn't have to choose to have this podcasting app. And that was brilliant for us because it just meant that, you know, for the big majority, not a majority, but for the big number of Apple devices out there, you could say, oh, have you, do you listen to podcasts? And they go, no. You go, all right, let, well, do you have an Apple phone? Okay, give me that. I'll let me show you this app that you've got right here. And you can search for some topics, and that really helps people come into it. And I mean, the growth has been great since then. We've got, I think it's something like, it's over half, certainly, of people in the US and the stats last time I looked that have listened to a podcast at least once. And, and weekly listening is growing really well as well. We've got, I think it's around a third now people listen to podcasts on a weekly basis. So that, that's some great growth. Um, but I mean, you look at that and you think that's great growth, but then that's a whole bunch of people that still don't listen. So all this growth that we still have, another two thirds of people in the US alone haven't listened to a podcast on a regular basis. So they're the ones we've got to convince and bring in. So whenever someone comes to you and they're looking at your service and they say, I want to create a podcast, do you help 
direct them in the area they need to go into or do you say no here's what here the, here's the skills you need now you go figure out what you want to do yeah we do have both so okay. we have a we have a tool for example um called Alitu that helps people make their podcast so people that just want to make it easy they know what they want to do they can just use that but a lot of people come to us and, and need help around that topic as well like i said the, the biggest mistake is usually people come to us and they say I know I want to talk about something around, you know, relationships or, you know, happiness, life success, that kind of stuff. It's the it's about the health, wealth and happiness topics they always want to talk about, but they don't know specifically how to go. So it's, it's always that first couple of months is really narrowing down to exactly what problem people want to solve. Make that really specific, really niche. What problem are you solving for people that's really quite specific that catches attention? And then how are you going to uniquely solve it? How are you, you know, your experience, your skills, how are you going to apply that to the problem to be a unique solver of that problem? And that's really, that's really the first month or two, certainly, when you're talking to people. Okay. And when, because I'm looking at your site, I'm looking at your site right now, which is the podcasthost.com. And I'm looking through it and I, I see how to start a podcast in 20 steps. Now, when I look at that, yeah. what are the most important steps after deciding what you're going to do it on? <laughs> well, that's the, the funny part is that that is the most important step, like you say, but that's the one that people often miss. They often jump straight into the following steps, which is choosing a microphone, choosing your podcast hosting, um, and then learning how to record and how to edit. Uh, so the most important literally is figuring out your topic and your solution and your problem and all that kind of stuff because that's really what ties people in. Um, but beyond that, like you say, so gear is important, microphones, um, where you record so people can record online calls like we're doing just now or some people record in person. So deciding what your format is in that way makes a big difference. And then setting up the website side of things, so actually signing up for a podcast hosting platform right. and putting it onto a website. But so much of that is so much easier these days. Like that's another thing that's become so much easier in terms of actually just getting your podcast online because all the podcast hosting companies basically take their care of that for you. Um, and the last part is the publishing. It's actually getting out there, getting live and submitting it to Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Really, that's the that's the main steps. Now, one thing, and I and I will say this because of what has happened in the world with the pandemic, is that last year at this time, um, actually in the beginning of March, I went out and bought a, a separate audio board, separate mics, and a separate recorder so I could actually now leave the studio and go public and actually go to the people that I was going to interview. But unfortunately... Yeah, yeah. We got hit with a pandemic, and <laughs> and I'm still stuck in my studio. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's Indeed. it's it's starting to it's starting to ease up a little bit where people are starting to get a little bit comfortable with starting to go back out into the world. But I don't see that happening um, as as uh, quickly as we were hoping that it would be. I'm looking for my first face to face interview coming in uh, sometime in June. And I have am in talks with a couple people to do that. But do you see with what has happened in 2020 with the pandemic, do you see that basically reintroducing podcasts, podcast and podcasting to the world and saying, 
you have nothing else to do, you might as well give it a listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the the growth in listening was certainly pretty good during last year. The growth in podcast creation was huge. It was all these people being stuck at home, um, more time in their hands potentially because they're maybe furloughed from work, that kind of stuff. And right. Just wanted to give it a try. So, I mean, that was... That was pretty good, but no, I, I can't wait for the in-person stuff to come back because, I mean, online, the technology is great these days for running online calls, for recording online podcasts, but nothing beats being with somebody to right. create great conversations, create that engagement, that back and forth, the, the quality of the content you can create with one person in a room with you. It's just so much better than being on an online call. And you, you get better at the online calls. You get used to it. You get used to sort of picking up the cues and dealing with the lag and the, and the glitches and stuff like that. So you can create great content online, but it's just so much more fun and so much more natural in person. So when we talk, when I talk podcast, I talk, I am referring to audio only. Now, there's also yeah. video podcasting. Is there a learning curve when it comes to doing video podcasting? I mean, the big difference to me is the worry about the visuals. Okay. <laughs> so suddenly you have to worry about these other things, which include lighting, which include what you're wearing, include background, include, you know, just even worrying about how you look at the camera at the same time as maybe having some notes in front of you to know what you're going to cover. So there is a whole bunch more complication around creating video. It's so much easier to create audio than video, which is a big reason why I think podcasting has become so popular in the last few years. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm never even convinced of the benefit either, because I think one of the big powers of podcasting is the fact that you can listen to it while you're doing other things. Right. You can be cooking your dinner and listen to a show, or you can be washing your clothes or ironing or walking the dog or whatever. All of these places where you couldn't watch a video, you know, it's, it's almost hard to fit in video watching time. When, it, when I have a video course or some video learning that I want to watch, I often just rip out the audio and then stick it in as a podcast and listen to it that way. So I'm not sure. I, we, we do help people set up video podcasts, but often I say the best thing to do is to create it as an audio podcast, but put on some of the episodes on YouTube. Maybe okay. even take just highlights and don't put the whole thing on. But I almost treat them as separate things. Um, because I, I, in, in the real world outside of doing this, I've done radio and, and I've done uh, local TV and it is, oh, yeah, sure. it's much, much more difficult in my opinion to be able to do video because if you're a perfectionist, you want that quality perfect. And there's so many other yeah, things that yeah. can go wrong when you're shooting video. Then with yeah. audio, if something goes wrong and you have a backup recorder, computer, whatever it is, all you do is plug in and everything's working for you. So it's not as bad. And if worse comes to worse, you pull your phone out, put it on the table, and you start talking. So you, you have, yeah. you have yeah. fallbacks, unlike video, where you actually need it. Um, the other thing is that um, I, I think is interesting, and I love this. It says, choosing a podcast title, choosing a good episode title. What does that mean? Yeah, sure. I, it means not naming your episode title after what so many people do, which is um, an episode title which says something like episode 22 dash um, Brian Jones. Okay. Dash, and then something else. 
<laughs> so, so many people name their episodes, starting with the number of the episode and even the word episode, and then literally just the name of the person. And obviously, you know, if you if you have the most famous person, like um, Mark Maron interviewing Barack Obama, for example, yes. so having a really famous name that people know, okay, fair enough, put the name on first. But for 99% of listeners, they're not going to know the people you're talking to. Like, practically no one listening to your show right now will know who I am. So putting Colin Gray in the title is useless. Episode titles need to draw people in. They need to use, they need to make maximum um, use of the space allowed. Because you only have 30, 40 characters right. to really draw people in. People are going to be looking through the feed. They're going to be searching an Apple podcast. They're going to see this title, and that title needs to draw that person in right away. So the title needs to have really just the problem that you're going to solve right up front. So people see it and they go, oh, yeah, that's something that I want to know about. That's something that I struggle with, or that's something that I want to learn more about right away. Um, so that's a big part of it. I mean, it sounds really obvious, but... If you look through a lot of the shows that you'll find on iTunes, they, they don't do that. It's all about names, it's like adding in episode numbers. It's wasting right. characters and all these details that people, the listener, just doesn't care about. Okay, so I have to name this program tonight. What would you call it? Yes. <laughs> I would call it something like, I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about how to create a podcast that draws listeners, potentially. So, or even, I mean, you can go even wider than that because maybe people don't really care about starting a podcast, but actually you'll have some of your listeners that want to grow an audience. They want to grow fans around their personal okay. brand, for example, something like that. So maybe how to grow listeners, how to grow listen, how to grow an audience around your personal brand or or how to, <laughs> you can always go the, uh, the clickbaity route, which is how to make money through growing an audience. <laughs> Growing a brand. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel guilty doing that, to be honest with you. Um, I had a woman on last week that, that does a podcast, and she yeah, got in She got in about two years ago, two and a half years ago, and it's called The Really Famous Podcast. Well, the thing is, she's mm -hmm. interviewing really famous people, and how she mm -hmm. was able yeah. to break down that barrier to call – um, celebrities and whoever they were to get them in. All she does have to do is put their name in the title. People will search them. And then all of a sudden she gets listenership. And she said that at first she didn't think that was going to work, but she says, all she has to do is if there's something that is big on TV or streaming online and she interviews them, she puts their name in the feed or in the title. And all of a sudden, I mean, she just gets hits over and over again because they're popular. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the less um, yeah. people, the authors, the um, the the new musicians and stuff like that, where it gets difficult to put yeah. them in because yes, they have great content, but how do you get an audience to listen to them or be attracted to them? The other thing I noticed too, yeah, and I think is sure. very interesting, is that when in, in the title, like you said that for some reason people feel the need to put the name of the program in the title of the program, even though it has its own page. <laughs> yeah. So it would be uh, This Week in Podcasting, and it says, This Week in Podcasting, we are going to do this, this, and this. And it's like, you just wasted the title that's on your page already. Yeah. Just say what you're going to do. <laughs> and I don't think people understand that when they start. I think they feel that whenever it goes out there into the internet world 
that it's going to go out by itself and there's not going to be anything identifying it. And then that is where you need to start talking about good, solid descriptions so the audience knows what they're listening to. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it, it's, you've got to assume that just about everybody looking at your description, your podcast, they're gonna, they've got a tiny attention span, like worse than a goldfish. <laughs> they're going to read like five or ten words max. Right. And if those five or ten words don't rip them, they're going to move on to the next one. So those first five or ten words have to say something really, really compelling. And usually, yeah, the name of the person or the name of the show or the episode number, that's not, <laughs> that's not best. Um, and I know people that like putting the episode number in because it makes them feel important that they've done so many shows. Yes. And that goes into the next thing. <laughs> How long do you do a show before you give up on it? Or do you never give up on it and you just keep hoping that the more you do, the better it gets and the more people start to listen? Yeah, I mean, I think consistency and longevity are a huge part in growing that audience. I mean, podcasting is, this disappoints a lot of people, but it is definitely a, a long game. It's not a fast grower. Like you, you don't tend to see podcasts take off like a rocket like you might some other mediums because it's there's bigger barriers to listening you know they're they tend to be long form maybe even an hour long sometimes <clears throat> so it just takes a little while for people to begin <clears throat> but it's it's definitely worthwhile because people that do get into them they become really big fans of podcasting it, it grows the most loyal listeners out there so it's just yeah it's, it's such a worthwhile thing to get into and the other thing i've noticed and and um we used to do um conferences here in the United States, and I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were called pod camps, where we would get a group of podcasters from a local area, and we would speak to the public about what we were doing, and this was in the early days, and the word that everybody was afraid of using, they were using the word pod fade, is when you started to lose interest in what you were doing, and like you said, you start to notice that there's no more programs out there. Do yeah. you, do you... And, and this is going to be a really odd question for me to ask because we're talking about getting one started. Is there a proper way to end a podcast? I mean, I think, I suppose I didn't even answer the question you asked before very strictly in terms of like how, how when do you, how long does one go? And But this ties into it, the how do you end one? I mean, I think... I think the more you do a podcast, the longer you do a podcast, the better you get at it in the first place, the practice you put into it, but also the more loyal your listeners become. So right. two or three years in, the great thing about it is that even if you start to deviate away from, you know, I'm not so interested in this topic anymore, let's say, or, you know, I'd like to talk about this other thing. By that point, many of your listeners, a big proportion of your listeners will actually be listening, not even so much for the topic, but for you. They'll know you. They'll be familiar with you. They they like you. They consider you a friend. Like that's the thing with radio, with podcasting, with audio things. They it's such a low barrier between you and the, the person speaking because you know the audio is kind of injected straight into your head and it's so personal that you feel it's it's very much more familiar than a TV. You know, with a screen in between you and this kind of right. perfect thing on TV. So they'll be willing to go with you. You can say right. I'm going to change topic. This is no longer the, the long distance running show. This is actually the health and well-being show because I'm much more interested in nutrition now. Who wants to come along with me on that? And a big proportion of your audience probably will come with you on it because 
um, because it's you, because it's your personality, it's your approach to things they like. So I would say it's less about finishing a show that way, and it's more about engaging with your audience and asking, you know, who would like to hear me speak about this or that or this or that? And you can change a show, you can rebrand a show really easily. Um, but equally, you can just say, right, uh, we're going to finish. I, I feel like this has come to an end, um, but I'm starting another show over here, which is called This, This, and This. Anyone that wants to follow me to that show, go for it. But if you're not, then by all means, the back catalogue will always be here. You can always listen. Thanks for listening. So mm-hmm. I think it can work either way. Um, one thing I've learned, and I learned it, again, the hard way, because this was so new when I started, that I did a program yeah. that I did for quite a few years. I this The program I'm doing now, I've always done. But I've done one in association with it. And for some strange reason, the supplement started to outpace the actual show, which was very interesting. Okay. And I noticed that I stopped doing it and all of a sudden there was this growth that was developed. And I mean, these people were still listening to it and still downloading it. So I decided, you know what, let's Mm -hmm. try it again. Now, of course that was the early days of podcasting when there was not much to listen to now trying to bring it back again. It's very difficult because how long do you stay in it trying to recreate what you've done? Or do you try to create something new that's related to what you've talked about before? And that's one of the things I think a lot of people are, are going to deal with over a period of time. And I think what you said is a good, good advice is that if you do move, Move your audience with you. Don't just disappear, then come back again. Just move them with you and move them gradually. Yeah, and I've, I've seen that time and time again, actually. There's, um, there's a friend of mine called um, Janet Murray who runs uh, a really good show. She started, out, she started out being a PR expert, so she just taught companies how to do better PR. So her, her show was called, I think it was Soulful PR initially, but then she moves more towards, you know, general growth and marketing for companies and, and rebranded the show to be about that, about 100 episodes in. And then she just wanted to talk about everything, business and life, and she rebranded it to the Janet Murray podcast. So it had all these different lives expanded by topic, expanded out and out and out. And actually, she's just shut it down and started a new show, which is related, but a very different format. So she's just been quite... And her audience, like, her audience has barely dropped every time, and it's grown Every, after every rebound as well. So it's, it's entirely possible to just, you know, change. And it, it's one of the things that people are always really afraid of, actually. Like, we talk about that niching at the start, like thinking about people really get wound up about what's my podcast going to be about? What topic am I going to talk about? How am I going to name it? It's all, people shouldn't worry about it so much because it's quite fluid. You can change it 10, 20, 30 right. episodes. In fact, you should change it 20, 30 episodes in because by that point, Probably you'll have a bunch of listeners and actually you should learn from them. You should say, this was my idea about what the show was going to be about. But actually, you guys are now listening. What do you really want it to be about? What parts do you like? What parts do you not like? What would you like me to talk about more? What would you like me to talk about less? And evolve based on that. So it's a good show should change, I think, over time quite greatly. Now, 
I need to apologize to my radio audience right now because I forgot to do an ID because we've gotten so involved in the conversation. But you're listening to Online <laughs> with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM, the keys for it. 107.5 FM, WLDJ, Newcastle. 1620 AM, Huntington Community Radio, Mixtape Radio International. Steel FM at steelfm.org. WWSX Radio 99.1 FM, Radio Rehoboth in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Orca Radio, it is orcaradio.coffee. Coffee cup, I can say it tonight.com in Owensburg, Kentucky, and then <laughs> streaming online at pghtalkradio.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, Sean Casey here, former WORFM DJ. And you're listening to Online with Bill Alexander. Again, it, when I get involved in conversation, in the old days when I was in a radio studio, there was a clock in front of me, and it would tell me when I'd have to break. Now I don't have the clock because this yeah. is so much freeform <laughs> compared to the old days that I just get lost yeah. in conversation. Now, which brings up a good point. Do you recommend for new hosts to script their podcasts? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it, there's no getting around this, I think. I, I think a lot of people try and go um, freeform. They think, oh, it's great. I'm just going to talk about something that I love. But uh, it, it just leads to quite a bit of fluff. And okay. the trouble is, these days, um, like we talked about attention span, you want to try and keep things concise. You want to try and keep it value-packed. Um, and having at least an outline plan, even if it's just four or five bullet points, so that you say, well, I'm going to talk about this for five minutes, I'm going to talk about this for ten, talk about this for five, and that keeps you kind of on track and from deviating too much. I think it is worthwhile. And often podcasters will start out with a really detailed script. You know, their first five or ten episodes will have quite a lot of notes. Right. Then they'll move towards something a bit more rough, and then maybe you'll just have an outline script towards the end. So, I mean, I'm curious actually, what kind of a what kind of a script do you have for radio shows? I've I've no experience in that. Like, would you have uh, something similar for a radio what show? What do I have? I have absolutely nothing. Um, but this has been years of <laughs> doing this because a lot of it yeah. is um, memorization. But what I do have in front of me right now is I have two computer screens that are up. Um, one is your website. One has my information yeah. on it, and then there's one that I'm able to flip through if needed 
onto Facebook or Twitter because I have people listening live that ask questions. And then on the other computer screen, I have all my audio lined up. But what I do do, and I've been doing this forever, is that I'm sitting here right now with a pen in hand and two sheets of paper. And a lot of times I just sit here and doodle. But when you start saying something that I think is that I need to respond to, I will mark it down. And then hopefully when there's a break and I can tie it into what you're saying, I can bring it back up again. But again, this has been a lot of years of practice to being able to do it because there have been times in my early days where I would get lost in conversation and either you were saying something and I was listening and then all of a sudden I went off into a different direction and I couldn't bring myself back to where you were or I couldn't bring you to where I was and it just got very confusing. So after years of practice, it's been uh, much easier. And one thing that does frustrate um, people when they see me work, because when I do this live, I I do the same thing. I have a, a pen in hand, paper in front of me, and I draw houses and faces and stuff like that. And they get worried because they think I'm writing down questions. And I said, no, it's just me drawing because it's me releasing stress because it helps me listen better because I'm able to focus on it. And I I oh, never do this. I never have a list of questions. The first question I ask mm-hmm. is, yeah. can you explain to me who you are? And then once you start doing that is then when I go into who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're helping people like we're doing this evening. So it's much more of a free form for me because it's just the way I do it. And that's also why my program is structured the way it is. For a lot of people, they're not used to it because talk radio used to be this way. Unfortunately, it's become so political in the last 20 years that it's all argumentative and there's no real dialogue going back and forth. What you and I are doing here is a lost art, which the dialogue going back and forth. And, and one of the reasons why I think podcasting is so popular these days is exactly that. Yeah, it's the conversation, isn't it? It's the yeah. two people actually having a bit of a banter back and forth, responding to each other, collaborating to create something great as opposed to so how much editing and i know this is one of the things that people fall back on but how much editing Mm -hmm. do you recommend because like i said when i do mine mine is done as a live program there's no interruptions and if i have to drop anything in i will do it live um but Mm -hmm. do you tell your audience to or tell your 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 student or whatever you want to call them to do it as a live recording or let them record bits and pieces yeah so i i mean certainly in the early days i encourage people as much as possible to treat it as if it is a live broadcast okay as if it is something that's just going to go out the way it is because it's it's the biggest thing that kills shows is editing um, people sort of think in the early days they they want it to be perfect. They're they're too perfectionist. They they start like they start doing a recording, and then they pull it into their editing platform, and then they start editing out ums and ahs and and little tiny gaps and stuff like that. And I just it's just it's unsustainable. It just takes too long. It's just boring as well for for another matter. <clears throat> so I try and encourage people to think of it as you've got your time limit. You've got twenty thirty minutes. Just start speaking. If you make any mistakes, then just, you know, say, oh, no, that's not what I meant to say. I apologize. This is what I meant. And if you have any huge gaps, then fine. We can edit them out. But try and keep the editing as little as humanly possible. That's that's tends to be how I try and do it. 
it 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 makes it it makes it difficult because an audience can hear editing especially if you're not used to doing it they can hear poor editing and when you hear poor editing yeah, you're right. wondering what you're hiding from the audience what was said <laughs> what was mistake what are you hiding from me that you don't want me yeah. to know and that can turn a listener off real quick now what editing because there's so many editing softwares out there what editing softwares do you recommend yeah, I mean, one of the one of the great ones out there always been has been a good option is Audacity. Audacity is free, costs yes. nothing. Um, it's it's pretty old fashioned. It's a bit clunky. It's got a bit of a steep learning curve because it's got a ton of editing tools in there. I mean, it's for it's designed for proper audio engineering, but it is perfectly fine. Um, I mean, one of the reasons we created our tool so we have our own editing tool, Alitu. That's, that's the tool I talked about earlier. It's designed to help people create a podcast. You can record your show in there. You can edit in there, cut out your mistakes. It does all the cleanup automatically. So it does the noise reduction, the leveling, all that kind of stuff. We created that because we found that was one of the biggest barriers to people. They would open up Audacity. They would open up Audition. These tools that are designed for audio engineering. Um, And there's just too much in there. There's too much to learn. You have to know what a bit is, what compression is, what EQ is. You have to know all these frequencies and all this stuff. Um, so that's why we created Audacity. Um, it's obviously a paid subscription, though. So uh, Audacity is still totally, I would recommend that if you just need someone for free if you're low budget. But yeah, there's a few out there. I would say, yeah, Audacity for free. Audition is a free, is a paid professional platform. And our platform, Alitu, is for the people that just want to make it easy. Yeah, Audition can get pricey after a while. Um, I've used yeah. I've used it for years. <laughs> And um, it, it's a great tool if you know how to use it, if you were taught properly. Yeah. But, yeah. again, if you're trying to teach someone how to use it, it there is a learning curve on it. Um, so that's one of the things. Now, you, you made a comment about the ums and ands, which I think is very interesting. Now, let to let you know what I do Monday through Friday during the day is I'm, also, I'm a teacher. I teach communications on a uh, mm-hmm. uh, secondary level. And I've been talking to my students about ums and ands. And recently I came across something, and I never thought of this before, and I'll throw this out to you, that ums and ands aren't really us trying to um, to delay conversation. It's actually letting us tell the listener that we have something else to say. Just hold on, and we'll get to it eventually. It's like uh, placers that we're putting in our speech. Yeah, totally agree. And it, it just makes you sound natural. It yeah. sounds more human. It's actually, okay, you get really good presenters that won't do any ums or ahs or errs or whatever it is, any place words, any crutch words. Some presenters can do that and they can sound good and polished. But even then, it sounds a little bit unnatural. It sounds unrealistic. It sounds unreal. It's it's almost the difference between podcasting and video. You know, that kind of really right. over-polished look, which personalizes the person a little bit because so we barrier between you and them whereas if you're hearing somebody speak and they just speak like a human being which means stumbling over some words which means saying ah every now and again it just it makes them sound more personable more identifiable more more just like you which in podcasting like i said it's that personal it's that one-to-one the friendship it's we're not standing on a pedestal above people lecturing down. We're speaking into your head as a as a friend, 
and that's where the connection comes from. So yeah, totally. I think I think editing them out. I mean, you can always get too many. Like you do get some people that have to try and learn to cut them down, but I think editing them out entirely is is usually a mistake. Now, a question I have, and I probably would have never thought to ask this to anybody else but you because of your accent. When you're when okay. you're doing a podcast and you know it's going worldwide, do you get self confident or self conscious of that accent that you're worried that some of the words you're saying people are not going to understand? I it's a good question. I've certainly learned to moderate my accent a little bit if I know that it's going to an international audience. And I, I don't have a strong Scottish accent by any means. Um, so, like, you get a lot of people... I speak to some people locally that, you know, if I put them out in a podcast, you wouldn't have a clue what they're talking about um, from Glasgow or from Inverness or something like that. But, I, I mean, I think it's, it's part of the personality. It's part of the uniqueness. I think I've actually... Um, I've managed to sort of engage with people a lot bit more in some ways because uh, my accent's been doing a bit more unusual. Uh, so it's kind of I, I certainly don't uh, grudge it, and I don't I don't feel nervous about it. But you're right, I do I do think about making sure I'm understandable because um, anything unfamiliar that can get in the way of your message. So it's worth considering. Yeah, because I my program got picked up a year ago on a station in Scunthorpe. United King in the United Kingdom, and I couldn't yeah. figure out why they yeah. wanted me, <laughs> of all people, over there, which is great. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. But yeah. I know that when, because where I'm located at, I'm located um, just south of the city of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and we have a very odd yeah. way of speaking. And I have to make sure that when I talk, I don't throw any of those regionalisms in, because if I do, I know I'm going to lose audience and I don't want to yeah, lose yeah. anybody because if I, if I use a term that you're not familiar with, that we are familiar with, then that's going to alienate somebody. And that's even in, in other parts of the United States that I could say something that they won't, yeah, I'm sure. they won't get. So again, I was just curious if you make notice of that and if you try to overcorrect or if you just try to correct enough just to get through it so i think it's very interesting that, that, to be able to talk exact, that yeah that's exactly it. i think there's a balance isn't there because those those words can be really um really valuable in some ways because yeah. if you don't you, you throw in too many and absolutely you'll alienate people because they don't actually understand what you're talking about but putting in some of the more local words like um like I, so I'm in Australia right now, which is a whole different ballgame. I'm actually trying to be understood by um, Australians at the moment, and I keep going to the coffee shop and I and I say every time I order a coffee, I say, I'll take a I'll take a long black with a wee splash of milk, please, and they all go a what? <laughs> they don't understand the wee splash of milk. But most people, whenever I go to the US, you guys all understand the word wee for some reason. Yes, it's, I don't know. It's kind of snuck into your parlance. But it's definitely got a Scottish tinge to it, mm -hmm. and it adds that personality. It's that people love it. They say, "Oh, he said we." <laughs> so I think there's a balance, as in you can add a lot more personality, a lot more kind of connection through having some of your local dialect in there. But yeah, not going over the top so that you're literally well, incomprehensible. <laughs> the one, and I and I don't use it as much anymore. The one that we use here is when we're talking about mm -hmm. you and we're talking a group of people, we don't say you, we say yuns or yins. And people oh, will look okay. at you and say, what are you saying? And I'm going, 
that's just what it is. <laughs> it's how yin's doing. Like yeah. down south, they would say, how y'all yeah. doing? We say, how yin's doing? And they look at you like, you're nuts. But again, it's one of those things yeah, where, where how, well, now you know it. Uh, <laughs> so now um, when you say these things, it all comes out. And, and again, I think what it does is it does eventually make the world a much smaller place because we never thought programming like this would go internationally. I'm always surprised on how many people are listening to me in other parts of the world other than where I would assume they'd be listening at. And some of the emails that I've gotten over the years, I had a faithful listener years ago that was from Ireland that would call me occasionally. Mm -hmm. And just listening to him and the conversation back and forth just broadened my horizons because it was something that I would have never talked to. He was 18 years old, and he was talking to me about going to university and how education system was different there and, and so on and so forth. So, again, I think we can open a lot of doors up by doing this and by being open-minded enough yeah, yeah. that we can just invite the world to participate. But um, and one last totally. question. That's the lovely thing, the, the connections you can make. It's, it's great. It's so good. Now, the one last thing I want to ask you, and, I, and I've always done it this way for, that re for this reason, is do you believe that whoever's doing a podcast, they should do it at the same time the same day every week just so they can create consistency? Yeah. So there's, there's two sides to this, I think, um, which is podcasting is brilliant in how flexible it is. So you can make a show anywhere, anytime, any place, any length. <laughs> you know, so that we talked about that earlier, didn't we? The, the difference in radio and podcasting is so much more flexible. What? On the other hand, that flexibility does a bit of unpredictability and, and does eat into your consistency. Absolutely. There's, I can't remember who, what, where the saying was attributed, but something like discipline is, you know, you know, discipline creates freedom. Mm -hmm. So for me, certainly, I get more freedom from stress, from, um, you know, worrying about, um, getting my content out consistently. I feel more free when I do stick to the same day. And at the same time, every single weekend, create a show. Okay. And so Tuesday mornings is often my content creating time. Every Tuesday morning, I know I wake up and I don't have to decide anything. I don't have, any, have to use any willpower. I just get up, I come through and I look at my plan. What's the next bit of content I have to create? Right, do it. Just write it or speak it or record it, whatever it might be. So yeah, for sure. I think it helps a lot. So Colin, I really appreciate you taking time talking to me um, this evening. So what time is it in Australia right now? Right now it's uh, half past one in the afternoon. Okay, so you're a day ahead of me. Uh, can you tell me if they never, never I mind. Am. Any, <laughs> anyway, um, the I was going to ask you to predict the future for me um, 12 hours from now, but I don't know if you can do that or not. But anyhow, I really appreciate you taking time joining me this evening, and uh, at least evening on my side of the world. And I appreciate you talking yeah. to me. If there's and if there's anything you'd like to tell my audience, how do they get a hold of you if they want to talk to you about creating a podcast and give them some information about your yeah, website sure. too? Thank you. No, just to say as well, thanks for having me. It's been a great, a good conversation. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to, I mean, if you want to start a podcast, if you're out there listening, you think you want to try it out, um, we have an article, our big massive guide on how to start a podcast. It keeps it as simple as possible. You can find it over at 
thepodcasthost.com forward slash start. Um, and our tool Alitu as well, that just makes it easy to create it. So if you fancied using that to record, to edit, to do the cleanup and to publish to the podcast host as well, just go over and you can find that at alitu.com, A-L-I-T-U.com. Well, Colin, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining me. And maybe one of these days we'll have you back on again and we'll talk some more. Absolutely. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you very much. You have a great night. Bye-bye. Cheers. You too. Colin Gray from the um, podcast host talking about how to create a podcast, why you want to create a podcast, and everybody can create a podcast if they want to talk. Again, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great website. Had the opportunity to look through it the last couple of weeks to see what advice was out there. And I'll be honest with you, there's some that I could still use. And I've been doing this for how long? So anyhow, that's going to wrap up this edition of Online with Bill Alexander. You guys have a great week. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. United Healthcare has rejected every solution to restore your in-network access to your Montefiore doctors and hospital. Sadly, it seems United's decision is permanent. Keeping the doctors you know, who know you, is one of the most important things you can do for your health. And all other national insurers have your doctor in-network. Your Montefiore doctors can't make United fix this, but they are still here for you. Visit keepmontefiore.org or call us at 855-226-3071 and let us help. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.